I certainly had to worry about getting my pork butt moving this morning. Also, I had to get church lunch ready, too. So. All right, well, let me open our time together uh, with a word of prayer. Let's pray. Gracious God, we do thank you for your covenant uh, love and faithfulness um, that uh, though your people uh, sin and turn astray, that you are, um, you are faithful uh, and your love uh, endures. Um, and though you will not leave uh, sin unpunished, uh, even as we see uh, judgment fall upon uh, your people in Jerusalem, in this chapter of Jeremiah, uh, we know also that um, you uh, promised to restore. And just as the judgment uh, is proven to do true, proven to come true, uh, so too uh, do we have hope uh, that uh, your promised restoration comes to pass as well. Uh, give us uh, eyes to see and ears to hear uh, as we uh, read and speak of your word this morning. May your Holy Spirit uh, be our instructor as we talk of these things uh, together. Uh, and in all things, uh, show us our need for our Savior and show us the love of our Savior, Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. All right, if you turn with me in your Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 32. Uh, and as you're turning there, I'll remind you where we are in the book. So we're in the middle of a section um, that's called the Book of Consolations, uh, where the focus has been on God's covenant blessings for his people, um, blessings that he promises to bestow uh, after he has punished them for his, their sin. So last week in chapter 31, uh, we encountered one of the most explicit declarations in all of scripture of the all-encompassing love of God for his people. Yahweh will be faithful and he will reverse the covenantal curse into times of great blessing. Uh, we saw all that salvific language in chapter 31. God saves the remnant of his people. God ransoms and redeems his scattered people. God plants them in the land and showers his blessings upon him. Uh, all of this experience of the goodness of God leads to, as we talked about, unbounded joy and rejoicing. Uh, then we ended last week talking about uh, the most quoted passage from Jeremiah in the New Testament and also the longest Old Testament uh, quotation uh, in the New Testament, uh, which is uh, this description of the new covenant. Uh, as Jeremiah um, uh, said, a day is coming on which God promises to give his people a new covenant that is not written on tablets or scrolls, but on our hearts. No longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. Uh, he promises that the people will inhabit a new Jerusalem, a Jerusalem that shall not be plucked up or overthrown anymore forever. God's gracious plan of restoring Israel to her land is said to be as certain and sure and durable as his appointment of the stars to shine and his decree for the moon to also shine. So today in chapter 32, 33, or 30, 32, sorry, <laughs> 32, I'm forgetting where we are. Uh, Jeremiah switches, uh, you'll notice a switch from poetry uh, that, that dominated chapter 32 to, to more prose. 
but the emphasis on hope for the future continues. Um, earlier in the book, we saw uh, symbolic actions, things that Jeremiah did um, that uh, kind of um, lived out his message, gave a visual picture of his message. We'll see that again uh, today in chapter 32. Um, those earlier symbolic actions uh, often uh, pertain to, uh, to the judgment that God was going to bring. Uh, today, his prophetic action uh, um, signifies faith in God's future blessings for his people. Even while the prophet himself uh, is in prison, while the city of Jerusalem is being besieged uh, by the Babylonians. Although the people are on the cusp of being um, taken away into captivity, God declares again, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God. I will give them one heart and one way that they may fear me forever. For their own good and the good of their children after them, I will make with them an everlasting covenant that I will not turn away from doing good to them. So with that as a word of introduction, hear now the word of God from Jeremiah chapter 32. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord in the tenth year of Zedekiah, king of Judah, which was the eighteenth year of Nebuchadnezzar. At that time, the army of the king of Babylon was besieging Jerusalem, and Jeremiah the prophet was shut up in the court of the guard that was in the palace of the king of Judah. For Zedekiah, king of Judah, had imprisoned him, saying, Why do you prophesy and say, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I am giving this city into the hand of the king of Babylon, and he shall capture it. Zedekiah, king of Judah, shall not escape out of the hand of the Chaldeans, but shall surely be given into the hand of the king of Babylon, and shall speak with him face to face, and see him eye to eye. And he shall take Zedekiah to Babylon, and there he shall remain until I visit him, declares the Lord." Though you fight against the Chaldeans, you shall not succeed. Jeremiah said, The word of the Lord came to me. Behold, Hanamel, the son of Shalom, your uncle, will come to you and say, Buy my field that is at Anathoth, for the right of redemption by purchase is yours. Then Hanamel, my cousin, came to me in the court of the guard in accordance with the word of the Lord and said to me, Buy my field that is at Anathoth in the land of Benjamin, for the right of possession and redemption is yours. Buy it yourself. Then I knew that this was the word of the Lord. And I bought the field at Anathoth from Hanamel, my cousin, and weighed out the money, for, money to him, 17 shekels of silver. I signed the deed, sealed it, got witnesses, weighed the money on scales. Then I took the sealed deed of purchase containing the terms and conditions and the open copy. And I gave the deed of purchase to Baruch, the son of Neriah, son of Masiah, in the presence of Hanamel, my cousin, in the presence of the witnesses who signed the deed of purchase, and in the presence of all the Judeans who were sitting in the court of the guard. I charged Baruch in their presence, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Take these deeds, both this sealed deed of purchase and this open deed, and put them in an earthenware vessel, that they may last for a long time. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Houses and fields and vineyards shall again be bought in this land. 
After I had given the deed of purchase to Baruch, the son of Neriah, I prayed to the Lord, saying, Ah, Lord God, it is you who have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. You show steadfast love to thousands, but you repay the guilt of fathers to their children after them. O great and mighty God, whose name is the Lord of hosts, great in counsel and mighty indeed, whose eyes are open to all the ways of the children of man, rewarding each one according to his ways and according to the fruit of his deeds. You have shown signs and wonders in the land of Egypt and to this day in Israel and among all mankind and have made a name for yourself as at this day. You brought your people, Israel, out of the land of Egypt with signs and wonders, with a strong hand and with an outstretched arm and with great terror. And you gave them this land which you swore to their fathers to give them, a land flowing with milk and honey. And they entered and took possession of it, but they did not obey your voice or walk in your law. They did nothing of all you commanded them to do. Therefore you have made all this disaster come upon them. Behold, the siege mounds have come up to the city to take it, and because of sword and famine and pestilence, the city is given into the hands of the Chaldeans who are fighting against it. What you spoke has come to pass, and behold, you see it. Yet you, O Lord God, have said to me, buy the field for money and get witnesses, though the city is given into the hands of the Chaldeans." The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is anything too hard for me? Therefore, thus says the Lord, Behold, I am giving the city into the hands of the Chaldeans and into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and he shall capture it. The Chaldeans who are fighting against the city shall come and set this city on fire and burn it with the houses on whose roofs offerings have been made to Baal and drink offerings have been poured out to other gods to provoke me to anger. For the children of Israel and the children of Judah have done nothing but evil in my sight from their youth. The children of Israel have done nothing but provoke me to anger by the work of their hands, declares the Lord. This city has aroused my anger and wrath from the day it was built to this day, so that I will remove it from my sight. Because of all the evil of the children of Israel and the children of Judah that they did to provoke me to anger, their kings and their officials, their priests and their prophets, the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, they have turned to me their back and not their face. And though I have taught them persistently, they have not listened to receive instruction. They set up abominations in the house that is called by my name to defile it. They built up the high places of Baal in the valley of the son of Hinnom to offer up their sons and daughters to Molech, though I did not command them, nor did it enter into my mind that they should do this abomination to cause Judah to sin. Now therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning this city of which you say it is given into the hands of the king of Babylon by sword, by famine, and by pestilence. Behold, I will gather them from all the countries to which I drove them in my anger, in my wrath, and in great indignation. I will bring them back to this place. I will make them dwell in safety, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God. I will give them one heart in one way, that they may fear me forever, for their own good and the good of their children after them. 
I will make with them an everlasting covenant that I will not turn away from doing good to them. And I will put the fear of me in their hearts that they may not turn from me. And I will rejoice in doing them good. And I will plant them in this land in faithfulness with all my heart and all my soul. For thus says the Lord, just as I have brought all this great disaster on this, upon this people, so I'll bring upon them all the good that I promised them. Fields shall be bought in this land of which you are saying, it is a desolation without man or beast. It is given into the hand of the Chaldeans. Fields shall be bought for money, and deeds shall be signed and sealed and witnessed in the land of Benjamin, in the places about Jerusalem, and in the cities of Judah, in the cities of the hill country, in the cities of the Shephelah, and in the cities of the Negev, for I will restore their fortunes, declares the Lord. Thus far, the reading of God's holy word. May he bless it as we speak of it together this morning. So, uh, before we get started, I need to conduct a little business. Jay, I, I, I know you're like always looking for good real estate investments. I've got some prime real estate. It's in Bakhmut in eastern Ukraine. So, uh, what do you say? <laughs> Considered pending. Uh, you know, it, Jay would be in his right mind <laughs> to refuse my generous offer of, of selling him land <laughs> in eastern Ukraine. And if we think about the situation that um, Jeremiah's in, that is essentially what he's being commanded to do here. Buy land in a war zone. Buy land that in all likelihood is currently occupied by a Babylonian army. Um, so, so as we think about this action, um, and again, this is one of those prophetic, symbolic action that God has called Jeremiah to. He told him not to marry, not to go to funerals, not to go to weddings. Um, he had to uh, go to the potter's house and take pottery and shatter it. Um, we saw him uh, making a yoke and wearing it around in the city, in the temple. Um, most of those were all signs of, of judgment, that you know, don't go to weddings because there's not going to be funeral, don't, or there's not going to be um, reasons to celebrate anything. Uh, don't go to funerals because the dead, a time is coming when the dead won't be buried. And so by, not, by taking these actions, he's showing the judgment that God's bringing. Um, so by buying this field, he's, he's showing the hope um, that is for his people. But to understand how this act is going to be interpreted, we need to, to think and talk a little bit about the context that Jeremiah gives us of this purchase. So what's happening in Jeremiah and Jerusalem in the beginning of chapter 32? Um, what, what's our status situation um, in which Jeremiah is going to be making this purchase. What details does he give us? Yeah, Ronnie. Yeah, so the situation we're in, uh, as Ronnie says, this is the final act. Um, we are in to the, the last years of the final king of Judah's reign, Zedekiah. 
uh, tells us we're in the middle of his 10th year, um, which we know he only reigns 11 years. <laughs> so, um, you know, it's, we're, we're at the end. Um, notice also, I think it's a sign, like we're already switching over the calendar uh, um, in a sense. It's the 10th year of Zedekiah. It's the 18th year of Nebuchadnezzar. So you got to start keeping the calendar in terms of the incoming regime. And he's like, so it's that in itself, the fact that he's, he's measuring time, not just in Judean time, but in Babylonian time is a signal of, of what's happening, that um, Jerusalem is being besieged. It's in the middle of what ends up being about a two and a half year long siege. Um, uh, there's a brief respite in the middle while the Babylonians go to dispatch the Egyptians, <laughs> but they come back. Um, but so this is that moment. Um, so Jerusalem's besieged. Um, uh, the Babylonians are literally at the gate. Good. What else uh, is our situation, our status update that Jeremiah gives us? Yeah, so there's a siege. The Babylonians are, are camped outside, as Jeremiah says in his prayer later on. So siege ramps are being built up against the city. So they're in the middle of the siege. So we're about probably about roughly around halfway through the siege. Um, that's a good question. Um, we don't give, we're not given details about, um, yeah, what, what, we're not even told what, why Hanamel wants to, to sell the land. Um, one reason is perhaps, like, again, there's a Babylonian army camped on it, so, uh, and he wants to, you know, get out of Dodge, and he wants to get his money before he goes, or because he's a refugee who's taken refuge in the city of Jerusalem, as refugees often are, he's hard for cash. And so in his poverty, he's doing what the law commands to go to a kinsman and rather than the land be taken away from a family, the land stays within a family. So even though he's in poverty, the land needs to stay with his kin. And so he goes, uh, you know, following on this Levitical practice, he's supposed to go to someone who's who's, it's their responsibility as a family member to purchase the land. So, yeah, probably he's in the city as a refugee. That would be my guess. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, he, he's, in, he's in prison. He's in jail. Like, uh, like, to take my little entry scenario, it'd be like if Jay was in prison, and I go and say, hey, Jay, uh, while you're doing time, <laughs> while the city's under siege, uh, buy this piece of property for me that's in the middle of a war zone. Like, it's, yeah, he is, and, and notice how the repetition um, uh, of, the pat, of, of the detail, um, you know, that he's coming, uh, to the court. Um, he's in the court of the guard, verse 12. Um, uh, verse 8, Hanamel, my cousin, came to me in the court of the guard. So um, it's not that 
Jeremiah's gotten um, some kind of a release. No, he's actually confined um, by the king. Um, and as Greg noted, he's confined by the king for what he's saying. Um, we're given a little more detail in chapter 37. So um, in chapter 37, uh, so the, again, in the middle of the siege, the Babylonians withdraw for just a moment um, to deal with the Egyptians. So as when they withdraw, Jeremiah takes the opportunity to go to Anathoth. Like, oh, I'll, I'm going to go uh, go to the land of Benjamin um, to to see what's going on, uh, to get his portion from the people, and he gets arrested um, uh, at Benjamin's gate, the Benjamin gate. You are deserting to the Chaldeans, is what he's accused of there. Uh, he says it's a lie. I'm not deserting to the Chaldeans. Uh, and then it's made clear when he's questioned by Zedekiah um, that it's because of, of the details we're given here that Jeremiah has been going around saying, behold, I'm giving the city into the hand of the king of Babylon and he shall capture it. Zedekiah, king of Judah, shall not escape of the hand of the Chaldeans, but shall surely be given into the hand of the king of Babylon and shall speak with him face to face and see him eye to eye, and he shall take Zedekiah to Babylon, and there he shall remain until I visit him, declares the Lord. Though you fight against the Chaldeans, you shall not succeed. So here in the midst of the siege, Jeremiah is imprisoned because he, again, is, is telling them they're, they're going to lose. Um, he, he's this negative message uh, about... Um, their military prospects against the Babylonian Empire are falling on um, ears unwilling to hear and receive that message. And in response, Zedekiah uh, throws Jeremiah uh, in, or has Jeremiah in prison. He, he gets thrown in a well uh, as well, but that's later on. <laughs> um, but yeah, so this is the situation. Jerusalem is besieged. <laughs> Jerusalem is in its final days. Jeremiah is in jail. Um, the city is probably starting to feel um, the scarcity um, of resources. Again, later on, we're told during his imprisonment, at first they give him a loaf of bread until bread can't be had anymore. Because, again, the longer the siege goes on, the fewer resources they have um, and the more desperate they get um, as starvation starts to set in, as, which often accompanies a siege. Uh, so the city is in increasingly dire circumstances, uh, and in that, Jeremiah is in the worst place you could be in the midst of dire circumstances uh, in jail. Um, so it's a city under siege, and Jeremiah is imprisoned in a city under siege. Uh, and it's in that position that God set, tells him, look, your cousin <laughs> is going to come, and, and offer you this field, and, and you need to buy it. So he gives us lots of details. Um, much, much of verses 6 to 15 focus on the details of Jeremiah carrying out God's command for the prophet to purchase this field in Anathoth. So, yeah, why, why such specific details? Um, what do we, 
what strikes us about the, the whole process and the terms by which Jeremiah uh, is purchasing this land. Yeah, Jay. <laughs> he would have done just what you done. Yeah, I'll I'll think about it. <laughs> I knew then, I knew that this was the word of the Lord. Yeah, I, and I think you're absolutely right. The, the reason that God preps him for this, because his first response would be like, yeah. Um, Hanamel, you know, we hadn't seen each other in a long time. <laughs> I think you've got closer kinsmen who can redeem the land. Um, uh, if you hadn't noticed, I'm in jail. <laughs> Niall's not really the convenient for me to be dealing in real estate. <laughs> um, you might have noticed there's a Babylonian army <laughs> nearby. Uh, you know, uh, thanks, but no thanks. But, you know, exactly as you say, Jay, I think you're spot on that um, God tells him uh, what his cousin and which cousin is going to come to him and exactly what that cousin's going to say. And so that confirms um, to Jeremiah that this is, this is what God wants me to do. This is the word of the Lord. Um, and therefore, I should do it, even though, as we'll see later on in his prayer afterwards, he's got some lingering <laughs> um, doubts <laughs> about this whole um, uh, enterprise, um, the wisdom of this purchase. Um, but, uh, yeah, God tells him it's going to happen, and then um, exactly as God told him it's going to happen, that's what comes to pass. Um, so he knows, okay, God really wants me to do this, um, and and so he, you know, goes through with it. That the whole situation, you're absolutely right, Ethan, that the whole situation in, in human terms is nuts. Like, and, and that's often, as we've seen, prophetic actions to the world look crazy. Like, I mean, let, let, like we talked about earlier, Jeremiah walking around with a yoke on his shoulder um, is, you know, people are going to, people at the time say, look, he's, he's crazy. He's, he's insane. Um, so this looks like insanity from the world's perspective. Um, it makes no sense um, for this transaction uh, to take place uh, the way it's taking place, where it's taking place, when it's taking place. None of it makes sense from, again, a human understanding of things.
Well, that's the point. Like, a symbolic action is supposed to be seen. So, in, in a sense, like, this isn't a shady deal in a back alley. It's a public deal that's being made. And Yeah, and it is, like, it's, it's, it's a stunt for religious purposes more than political. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, and like, and notice he doesn't want people to forget by all the, the, you know, you've got witnesses, um, you have the standard practice of um, all this with the um, kind of two copies, one sealed, one open. So the open one would be like if there's any question, they consult it. Uh, and if there's a lawsuit, then they break up, the, open the sealed one to make sure they match. But that's how, like, you know, like I have a copy of the deed to my house, you know, in a filing cabinet somewhere, and then the state of Massachusetts has one filed somewhere. And so, you know, if there's any question, like my deed matches their deed, like it's the same kind of idea. You have two copies, one is sealed and protected, one is open for consultation and can be viewed. Um, so so to, to your point, Dave, it's, it's in the open. There are lots of witnesses. Um, all these people know this is taking place. Um, it's creating a legal trail, like a document record um, you know, we see um, uh, Baruch being told to like preserve it, like put it in a pot um, so that it'll, you know, the elements won't rot it because it's going to be a long time. Like, you know, like if this is an investment property, it's going to be outside Jeremiah's lifetime <laughs> that the investment is going to pay off. Um, so the captivity is going to be 70 years, but the point is that, look, the future is so certain that Jeremiah can redeem a piece of land that he knows will stay in his family. That, you know, that this land, even though it's Jerusalem's being besieged by Babylonians, that the land is in the possession of Babylonians, that we're starting to count time in Babylonian time, there will come a moment where God will restore the people to the land and this purchase is, you know, at a crazy moment, at a crazy place, is a visible sign that God's promise to restore the people to the land will come to pass. Like, it's, it seems crazy that in the midst of judgment that there's this hope for a future restoration. And that's what Jeremiah has been preaching in the last couple of chapters. That's what he'll preach going into next week. Uh, that's God's message at, at this moment when the judgment is coming. Um, and again, we'll see in the prayer and in God's response, the judgment is, is fully and completely deserved. Um, but God has not abandoned them. Uh, that God, God remembers his covenant even if they've forgotten it. And God's faithfulness will extend even to the buying and selling of this land that right now, you know, seems crazy for this transaction to take place. But a day is coming when, when this tra transaction shows 
God's faithfulness in restoring the people to the land. Good. What else? Uh, or anything else about the details of the purchase? Because he goes into like a lot of <laughs> detail about um, what he's doing here. Um, That's a good question. Like, and if you look at commentaries, there's all like, is this a lot of money? Is this a little money? It's about seven ounces of silver. Um, so, I, I, anybody know what seven ounces of silver is currently worth? <laughs> like, um, but yeah, so it, it doesn't seem like a lot. Um, 17 shekels, um, like we don't have a, uh, unfortunately, the Jerusalem Zillow for this period, uh, it's, wasn't saved, so we don't know what what the land was worth. Is this a lot of money, a little money? But yeah, it, it probably is a significant sum for Jeremiah um, at this point. Uh, it's probably not a lot of money to the land, again, showing um, just how, in the eyes of the world, how worthless the, the land is uh, looked upon at this moment. Um, but, but yeah, kind of, and I think if we kind of think in those two lines, it's probably a lot for Jeremiah since he's in jail, um, but it's probably not very much for a plot of land. Again, we don't know how big the plot is. Is it a garden plot? Um, you know, there, it's a, as we saw earlier, um, Jeremiah is of a tribe of priests and they don't have an allot, the same kind of allotment of land um, as the other tribes do, so it's probably like a garden plot um, adjacent to a house or something. Probably. I mean, like, again, we know Jeremiah himself isn't a priest, but he's from a priestly family. So Anathoth is a, one of those priestly towns. So, so yeah, it's, they, they had, had land, but um, it, it wasn't like the size of the, like, it wasn't large agricultural tracts of land that you'd make money off of. You'd have enough land to kind of, you know, buy your house kind of like, you have a house, you have a little plot of land where you live. Um, and so it's not very much land. So it, yes, it, it would be weird um, that uh, a transaction this small <laughs> um, would be taking place. Like when we think of redeeming land, it's usually like huge tracts of land, um, uh, large fields. This is probably a very small plot. Yeah, and, and actually, um, so we don't hear about this land uh, ever again, although um, this is really fascinating. Um, seals have been discovered that um, from this time period uh, referencing 
Baruch, the son of Neriah. So we, we have outside biblical evidence that Baruch, son of Neriah, was an actual person um, because we found actual seals. The documents themselves are, are you know, disappeared, but the seal um, remained. So Baruch, the son of Neriah, uh, imprint on a, um, it's called a bulla, this clay seal, um, has been found. Like, so that's kind of really amazing, <laughs> like, to your point. Like, these are real people making real purchases, leaving behind real documents. Um, and again, this is a visible sign of the work that God is doing that at this moment seems invisible. Um, you know, it seems improbable that the people are going to come back. Um, it seems unlikely that anyone will ever benefit from this transaction. But that's what God is saying. Um, you know, through this action, it's this opportunity to show God's commitment, uh, his faithfulness to his people. That in the moment that their, their last moment where they're going to be dragged from the land, that he will certainly bring them back. Um, and we need documents uh, to, to show the records of the land for when the people come back. So everybody remembers whose is what. Again, like who, who's who's going to benefit from this transaction in the future? Um, I think the the point is um, again, it's like you know you need to. It, it's not the land itself, but but the promise that the people are going to come back to. Like he's doing this land, doing this deal, not for his benefit, not for his gain, not for his family's gain. He's doing it as a um, testimony. Um, a proclamation. He's, he's living out God's promise here by doing this. Um, and just as he's doing it now in a, a transaction that, again, in human terms, um, makes no sense. <laughs> um, it's this testimony that, uh, as God will say in verses 43 and 44, fields shall be bought in this land of which you're saying it's a desolation without a man or beast. It's given into the hand of Chaldeans. Fields shall be bought for money and deeds shall be signed and sealed and witnessed in the land of Benjamin and the places about Jerusalem and the cities of Judah and the cities of the hill country and the cities of the Shephelah and the cities of Negev. For I will restore their fortunes, declares the Lord. So it's it's an act that, again, makes no sense from human perspective, but it's, um, it's this visible sermon, <laughs> um, you know, this visible action of, of God pledging. Just as Jeremiah is buying and selling land right now, so too land will be bought and sold. Just as Jeremiah is assembling witnesses, once again, these deals will be witnessed, and they'll be sealed, and they'll leave documents, and they'll people in future generations can consult them. So it's all a visible testimony of what God is promising to do. So we have the deal, and then Jeremiah um, 
I love how the, the ESV title says, Jeremiah prays for understanding. Uh, <laughs> um, which I love how the prayer for understanding comes after the deal is done. <laughs> um, you know, after I had given the deed of purchase to Baruch, the son of Moriah, I prayed to the Lord saying. So, um, yeah, what strikes you about uh, Jeremiah's prayer? So we'll spend a few minutes looking at Jeremiah's prayer, and then we'll spend the rest of our time thinking about God's response to it. But, um, yeah, it's Jeremiah. He's, he's, all right, he's done this crazy thing that God has told him to do. Um, and after the deal's done, after Baruch has taken the documents away, the transaction o is over, Jeremiah prays. So, yeah, what stands out to you about uh the subject of his prayer, how he prays. What do we glean from his prayer? Yeah, Ron. I don't understand. <laughs> uh, yeah, so, but, yeah, so he, he ends with what he's really, you know, um, concerned about. Um, but he starts, uh, as, as Ronnie says, as good prayer should, it start, his prayer starts with, with God and his character. And um, it, it might... Um, might not strike us as usual, but this, this phrase, Yahweh God, um, Lord God, um, you know, uh, or Lord Yahweh is how, how it reads. Um, so the, like, it should be Lord, Lord, because uh, usually when we, we do Lord in all caps, here God is in all caps. So it's Ah, Lord Yahweh. So that d phrase, that is typically used um, in the Old Testament at covenants. So the Lord God, it's found in Genesis 15, 2 and 8, in the Davidic covenants, 2 Samuel 7, 18, um, and lots of times there. So he's praying to God not in the usual phrase of normal language of prayer, but he's praying to God using God's, uh, the, the, the prayer that's usually used when, when acknowledging God's covenant sovereign, sovereignty. So if you think of a covenant um, is a bond of blood um, at, you know, sovereignly administered. So there's unequalness in the parties. So one is the sovereign, one is the vassal. Uh, so it's, O Lord Yahweh, um, is, is what he's saying. He's acknowledging God's mastery over him, his sovereignty, his covenant sovereignty over him. Um, yeah, Greg.
it's a covenant prayer in its form of address. It's a covenant prayer in its content. Uh, as you say, it's laying out, like, and usually with a covenant, you have a history. Like, a, you know, like you look at the book of Deuteronomy. The book of Deuteronomy starts with a history. Like, this is the relationship of the two parties. Um, and then it gets into terms. And as he's um, recalling the, this covenant, he's recalling God's faithfulness. You've shown signs and wonders in the land of Egypt and to this day in Israel and among all mankind, and you've made a name for yourself as at this day you brought your people Israel out of the land of Egypt with signs and wonders, with a strong hand and an outstretched arm and with great terror. And you gave them this land which you swore to their fathers to give them a land flowing with milk and honey. And again, if you think of all the language used of the land before they got it. Like that's how the land was always being described. God is going to bring them into a land of milk and honey. Um, so there, yeah, as, as Greg says, there's all this language that's taken, you know, from the Torah of God's dealing with his people. Um, but then also as Greg uh, says, it also details um, the people's faults. They did not obey your voice or walk in your law. Um, <laughs> I, th this line gets me. They did nothing of all you commanded them to do. Like, um, you know, again, we're, we're in our Bible studies studying the book of Deuteronomy, and they're being called to, to do these things and to, like, you know, remember the law, bind it on their um, foreheads so that, like, it's right there reminding them. Put it on your doorpost, on the gates of your city, wherever you go, that you're reminded of this law so you'll do it. And he's saying, you gave them all these commands, and they did nada. <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> um, it, it's a striking portrait. Um, like, we often focus on... Um, on the wrong things they did, and again, those come up, how they worship others. They do all the things they're commanded not to do. Um, but, but here, the way Jeremiah expresses it, they haven't done the things they were commanded to do. So it's not just they've disobeyed the thou shall nots, they haven't done the thou shalls. <laughs> um, so it's, um, it's this complete... Um, description of, of rebellion. Like, again, if we're thinking of a covenant, um, you know, a, an agreement between two parties where one party is pledging to do certain things um, in order to receive the, what, what's being promised, um, and he's saying they've done nothing. Um, uh, and so, therefore, uh, behold, Therefore, you've made all this disaster come upon them. Behold, the siege mounds have come up to the city to take it. And because of the sword and famine and pestilence, the city is given into the hands of the Chaldeans who are fighting against it. What you spoke has come to pass, and behold, you see it. So he is, again, most of this prayer is focused on who God is, um, what God has done for his people, how his people have rebelled against him, and what God said would happen if his people rebelled against him. So again, it's a very covenant-structured prayer here. Um, but it ends with the, the, the question, um, yet you, O Lord, 
God, have said to me, buy the field for money and get witnesses, though the city is given into the hands of the Chaldeans. So like the but there, <laughs> like, okay, <laughs> you've done everything you said and judgment's coming to pass. Why do I have to buy this field? <laughs> uh, what, 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 you know, what, what was the point of buying a field though the city is giving, given into the hands of the Chaldeans? Um, and then God gives his answer. Um, so what's God's response? Uh, to, to Jeremiah's um, uh, prayer uh, here, his response to Jeremiah's statement of his dilemma. How, how does God um, answer? <laughs> yeah, and I like how he, um, he uses the same language that Jeremiah used uh, in his prayer. Um, Jeremiah said, Nothing is too hard for you. Um, and, and God responds, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Uh, but he flips says, Is anything too hard for me? Jeremiah's already said, No, <laughs> nothing's too hard for you. Um, and God responds with the, you know, using the same kind of, like you just said, Is anything too hard for me? Um, so why, <laughs> you know, why are you wrestling with buying this field? Um, yeah, you know, he, he responds by declaring some of the same things that Jeremiah just declared himself, um, these truths about himself. Um, good, so what else? Um, so declaration of who God is. How else does God respond to Jeremiah's prayer? Yeah, and notice the, the language of um, provocation. Like um, uh, verse 29, um, uh, they've done these things to provoke me to anger. Uh, uh, verse 32, because of all the evil of the children of Israel and the children of U Judah that they did to provoke me to anger. Um, there's a third one. I didn't underline it, but somewhere there's a third. Three times he uses the word provoke. So uh, he's saying, yes, like all this judgment, all this destruction is coming because of the idol worship. Like Jeremiah didn't focus on that in his prayer. Um, he focused on like the things they didn't do. Uh, here, um, um, God is focused on all the idolatry that they did do. Um, all these offerings made to Baal, all these offerings poured out to other gods, how they've even done them, set them up in his temple. They've set up their abominations in the house that is called by my name to defile, to defile it. They've built the high places of Baal in the valley of son of Hinnom. They've offered their sons and daughters to Molech. Like, so again, um, you know, on the rooftops, in the temple, on the valleys, on the hilltops, under every tree, they have been provoking God's wrath by their uh, idolatry. And therefore, God is rightly bringing judgment 
upon this abomination, um, as he uh, labels it multiple times. It is an abomination what they're doing, and it's these abominations that have provoked my wrath to bring this judgment upon them. Uh, and it's this, that's why God is giving the, hand, giving the city into the hand of the king of Babylon by sword, by famine, and by pestilence. So he, he's emphasizing the judgment is, is coming, it's coming in response to God's faithfulness to the covenant. And it's setting them, them up for um, the, the idea um, that just as he's been faithful in bringing about the punishment, the curses um, for their disobedience to the covenant, so too he will be faithful in bringing about the, the blessings. Um, he will be faithful to his covenant um, even as uh, you know, he's been faithful in bringing about judgment. Everything that is befalling the city God had said, this is what will befall the city if you worship other gods. They did it, and now it's happening. And he's saying, just as my word was true when I was bringing that judgment, so too you can trust um, that I will not turn away from doing good for you. Good. What else stands out about? So it's, it's judgment. It's deserved um, it's coming from, from God's righteous anger and wrath. He's been provoked. Um, how else does he respond? And maybe this is the time to pivot to the good, <laughs> the, the, the consolation, the hope of this part. Yeah, Ethan. <laughs> Jerusalem property values are going to uh, are plummet. Yeah, I mean, like again, the emphasis is going to is on it's going to be complete judgment. Um, and then, just as he's been faithful in bringing this this judgment, um, nothing is too wonderful uh, for him. For just as surely as the judgment must come, so too must the everlasting promises of God likewise come to pass as well. Um, so behold, I will gather them from all the countries to which I drove them in my anger, in my wrath, and in great indignation. I will bring them back to this place, and I will make them dwell in safely. And so he follows this description of all the sin they've done, why that has provoked them to wrath, why the judgment is right and just. And then he starts laying out these promises. God is going to bring the captives home to Israel from all the countries where he's driven them in anger. Uh, God will cause them to live in safety. They will be my people and I will be their God. Uh, they will have one heart and one way. God will make an everlasting covenant with them. God will rejoice in doing them good. God will assuredly plant them in this land. Um, so he, he makes all these beautiful pledges, all these um, wonderful I wills that are are strung out, and we, you know, again, even in the midst of the worst part of this siege, where it's 
Like this is the blackest it's, you know, of black, the situation they're in. God is saying, just as I have brought this, the blackness of judgment upon you, I will shine my light upon you in blessing by all these wonderful I wills. And once again, just like last week, he, he talked about this new covenant he was going to make with them. Here, he references it as an everlasting covenant. Um, and I will put the fear of me in their hearts that they may not turn from me. So that, again, that idea just as he's going to put the law on, write their law on their hearts. Um, as he said in chapter 31, I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts. Here he'll put the fear of him in their hearts that they won't turn away from him. Like So his, it's going to be uh, this, this covenant that will, can't be broken because of the work that God is doing in their hearts. That they won't be in the situation anymore where they'll go astray and invoke the curses. God will is pledging his everlasting faithfulness to keep them here. Other aspects. Oh, we're at time. Sorry. <laughs> Whoa. Yeah, you know. I get carried away sometimes. Um, but uh, again, the the idea, you know, the, the takeaway of the whole chapter, um, the future restoration is just as certain as past judgment. Uh, once more, uh, God promises that fields will be bought in the land just as Jeremiah has purchased a field um, in anticipation of that coming day of Yahweh. Deeds will be signed, sealed, and witnessed once more. Um, you know, the Babylonian incursions is not the end of the story. Um, God has a better end for them uh, in place. He will restore the fortunes of Judah just as he has promised. So let me uh, close us uh, in prayer. Gracious God, we uh, must confess that we are um, like uh, those in Jerusalem and Judah, um, that uh, there's no good uh, in us, um, that we have done uh, nothing good, um, but you have done good for us uh, in giving us uh, your son, Jesus Christ, that in and through him um, we are perfectly justified um, before you, um, that you sanctify and um, make us holy, that you've taken away the, the penalty of sin, the, the righteous wrath and anger that we see being poured out in this chapter, that, that you've taken that wrath upon yourself, that we might have uh, the blessings of an everlasting, eternal life uh, with you. We thank you uh, for who you are and what you've done for your people uh, and what you continue to do uh, for your people. And we look forward uh, to the day when all things are consummated uh, and that we are in the eternal presence of our Savior, uh, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Help us to uh, anticipate that day, even as we gather and worship in the coming hour. Uh, with We lift all these things up in the matchless name of our Lord God, uh, Jesus Christ, and your Holy Spirit. Amen.